concert day hard. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I'm gay. You can't love yourself. How in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen out of me? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Gay card revoked. Hi, I'm Robbie Roselle, and my pronouns are he, him. And I am Rob Schneider, and my pronouns are he, him. And welcome to Gay Card Revoked. Revoked. It's been taken away. How How are you Hi. doing? Hi. Well, first how are of you? all, let me congratulate you. On what? On over <laughs> 500 episodes of Behind the Curtain, Robbie's Living Legends. My other podcast. Yeah. And it's sort of, you're not, it's not ending, but no. you, you, you're sort of, um, you're, you're closing the purse most of the way. So just a little bit of money sticking out. <laughs> I've never heard that analogy before. Closing the purse. Truly just just came out. (laughs) So just a little bit of money is sticking out. Yes. Leaving a little bit of air left in the tire. Yes, um, <laughs> to to get us to get us where we need to go, um, and it's only a three a three wheel car. If you watch okay. the Lady in the Dale on HBO Max, uh, you'll get that reference. Have you watched the Lady in the Dale on HBO Max yet? No, I haven't. About I the, the, this uh, this inventor who was trans. No, I need. Oh to. my gosh, folks! I, I'm, we'll, I'm I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. But go over to HBO Max. This it's a four part documentary series called The Lady and the Dale. And it's absolutely fantastic and absolutely riveting. So I hope you enjoy it. But to go back to your first question, I am doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Yes, my other podcast, Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, has been on the air now for six years. We've done over 500 episodes uh, interviewing some of the greats of Broadway. Actually, someone that we interview a lot is actually Mm -hmm. on our show today, which I'm very excited about because it's a crossover, like an NBC show from the 90s. Um, (laughs) It's it's the hurricane night. It's it's hurricane night. (laughs) Remember that, folks, where every every show had a hurricane involved. Golden Girls, Empty Nest, they all crossed over into each other, and it was just the (laughs) aftermath of this hurricane. And it was incredible. So anyway, yes. So so no, we're not uh, we're not ending officially. It's just we're starting to slow down and only producing episodes when we feel like there's a legend that we need to bring the public. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and, you've but you've had incredible people. Nathan Lane, that episode was fantastic. Oh, thanks. We've had th- thanks Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick, um, uh, uh, Charles Strauss, who wrote Annie. Uh, it's been it's been a really nice night. Susan Stroman, Casey Nicola. I love the weird names you're just grabbing out of the just, air right now. Um, it's fun to watch joe schmo oh good who who from was hannibal and mo from Han- <laughs> joe schmo from hannibal and mo go go we need an extra syllable go go joe schmo um <laughs> yes now how now how are you doing because i keep seeing on instagram um wicked little town uh popping up oh yeah as, as something people should purchase so why don't you talk well, about that true. so well uh a year ago um, a year ago, uh, some some sad and wonderful things all happened at the same time. Um, I had been uh, I had a series that was a, a residency, a talk show at a, a nightclub in New York City. And I don't mean to interject, folks. It was absolutely fabulous. It was so good. And if you were lucky enough to see it while it was operating, you got to see something very, very special. And I hope when we're out of the pandemic, it continues at a venue of your choosing. <laughs> Continue on. Sorry. That's my goal. Listen, I want to evolve it like a Pokemon. But um, I, so, but the ending of that was uh, very sad and traumatic for me. Um, And so 
at that same time, I recorded my first single and put it out into the universe. And it was a mashup that I had written a few years earlier of uh, Wicked Little Town from Hedwig and the Angry Inch and the Mamas and the Papas Make Your Own Kind of Music. And um, so I just released that and uh, I donated all the money that I made from it to um, helping Democrats get elected. And it was only like a thousand bucks that I raised, but that's a thousand more than, you know, I would have been able to give otherwise. Absolutely. I'm so proud of you for doing that. That's just marvelous. So, folks, if you click into our show description, you'll see a link where you can go and uh, download the song, purchase it, uh, and and support Robbie and his beautiful music. And once again, when this pandemic is over, hopefully his show, his talk show will come back. Then you'll leave me. and You'll be like, I'm done slumming on the the podcast. Unlike you, I'm going to be on this podcast forever. Because <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna. Good night, folks. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I head out. You know, you know. I forgot to mention this because I think this has happened since our last episode. Um, you went to Cancun for a day. I went to Cancun. My kids made me. Uh, My kids made I, me. I, I and there was a lay. I there was a layover in Antifa. No, where did what did you say? Sorry. Well, I tweeted uh, a gif of Bernadette Peters that just says, "I was just trying to be a good mother in Into the Woods." <laughs> Oh, Ted Cruz. I, you know, what nothing to me is more more appropriate than uh, than this guy from his state, which is absolutely going under, and yeah. he just goes away, and he will get reelected in twenty twenty five. I don't understand this. Why? Oof. It's a whole. You know, we're not a political podcast. No, um, but you, no, I disagree. I would say that now it's anything that's queer is political. <laughs> what a great, what a great way of looking at that. So that actually brings me to my next point, which is we lost two giants in broadcasting. Um, yeah. One of them, Larry King, who mm-hmm. I absolutely suspenders. loved, suspenders, and I wish I, I I could be up to his interviewing level. I just loved him and used to listen to him all the time. So rest in power, Larry. He was one of my favorite people. I could watch him and Liza Minnelli back and forth for the rest of my life. And I love that no matter what was going on, no matter who he had, he always asked people the oddest and weirdest questions. He was in, interested because because he wasn't, I would say, a journalist per se. He no. He was just inquisitive. And, and so he would just ask whatever came into his mind at that moment. And openly, he would say, mm-hmm. I'm not a journalist. And but I think I, that's what made him a better interviewer. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my favorites is um, he had Richard Nixon on. Oh. And he asked Richard Nixon, he goes, uh, when you drive by Watergate, what do you think? And I was like, what an interesting question to ask him. When you drive by Watergate, what do you think? The topic, so Watergate, that, the, uh... the guest, Richard Nixon, the phone, AT&T. Linda from Tuscaloosa. Hello. <laughs> Cher from Malibu. <laughs> Cher from Malibu. Hello. Yeah, so we lost Larry King. We lost him. And then uh, someone who really, really shaped uh, my identity in a certain way. That is Rush Limbaugh at Ugh. seven years old has passed away. Rush Limbaugh, folks, who, just as a reminder for you young kids out there who, who really aren't familiar with him, Robbie, am I incorrect in saying that he was, when we were growing up uh, and, and coming to terms with our sexuality, I think he was just about everywhere, right? Oh, yeah. He was, yeah, he yeah. was always on the he radio. Was, he, my teacher, the teacher who ran the high school newspaper, which I laid out, um, constantly had him on. In the um, wood shop. 
Yep. So you heard him everywhere. You saw him on television everywhere. His mm-hmm. books were everywhere. And uh, I just want to remind folks that when, when people were dying of AIDS, um, he would read their names off on his radio broadcast uh, and then blow a horn and uh, blow a whistle uh, celebrating that another gay person had died. So um, Playing Dionne Warwick's I Know I'll Never Love This Way Again. Yes. Uh, he also said, uh, if a gay person turns their back on you, it's not an insult, it's an invitation. Um, and uh, mu- much more. He called 12-year-old Chelsea Clinton a dog. Uh, yeah. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But he is the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, one of the highest honors um, a citizen can have. And uh, my feeling is, is good riddance to bad rubbish. So- uh, yeah. I understand that his last words as he was crossing over was, uh, wow, it's really hot. <laughs> I was not expecting that And I'm happy that you said that So folks, um, think about Larry King Let's just think about Larry King And watch Liza Minnelli Basically drunk on Oh, his- we'll, once again Go to the description folks You'll click, you'll see Larry King, Liza Minnelli, drunk I wonder how Larry King had phone sex The operator, Mitzi Wearing a negligee Mitzi, you're on the air Mitzi, oh, I'm close God. He just blinked twice. Mi- and was like, Mitzi, what accents this. do you hear a lot when people call in? <laughs> <laughs> After Mitzi will be Al Gore to talk about NAFTA. <laughs> I wish oh. it was. The- Sorry, yes. So anyway, <laughs> um, I'm moving on. So I we're apologize. Gonna, let's, let's transition into our to. topic of the week. Oh, boy. We're oh going to go from Mitzi. <laughs> the Mitzi in Tuscaloosa. Hello. <laughs> um to- <laughs> uh, to the wonderful Tallulah Bankhead. Tallulah, Tallulah Bankhead. I have to, I'm, I'm going to be very real with you right now. I often confuse Tallulah Bankhead and Marlena Dietrich. Yes. And I, I you know, they were lovers at one point. Yeah, they were lovers sense. at one point. And we'll, we'll, we will talk about that. So, folks, uh, Tallulah Bankhead is one of the most fascinating icons, I think, out of all the, uh, the, the queer legends that we look at because she's this individual who, was primarily a stage actress who was known for these brilliant theatrical performances that if you look at her reviews from the 30s and 40s, there's stuff of legends. Um, She was in the original Skin of Our Teeth by Thornton Wilder. She was in the original The Little Foxes by Lillian Hellman. Um, And uh, she was the the inspiration, some people say, for Blanche Dubois. Tennessee Williams said. And they were very close friends. but it's very interesting because she does not leave behind a large body of film or television work, yet every gay man of a certain age can do an impression of her. Um, so today what we're going to do is, is we're going to explore someone that Robbie and I really have no, had no prior knowledge of. Yeah, it, before. it was very much a blind spot. It is a blind spot. And so the same way that we like to teach you, we are also hoping to be taught as well. Mm -hmm. So just a little bit of information about Tallulah Bankhead. Yes, there are some clips of her that you can see, um, and we'll post those in in the show description. So you can click on some of those and watch those. Robbie, what was the first clip, or where did you go first in researching whatever work there is of Tallulah Bankhead that's out there? Game shows. On, okay, on game shows. And yeah. folks, um, when, you, when you listen to the clip, and I'm sure when we get to our guest today, he'll also do an impression of her, So because everyone can do an impression. Tallulah yeah. Bankhead looks, first of all, like Betty Davis in All About Eve. And mm-hmm. Edith Head, who designed the costumes for All About Eve, said, that is very, I modeled 
uh, that character, uh, uh, oh my God, Margot Channing, on <laughs> Tallulah Bankhead. And a, all about evil is a great episode that we did a few episodes yes. back. So go back and listen to it. And do you know who else Miss Bankhead was the inspiration for? And this like just blew my mind. No, Cruella Deville. Oh yes. Oh, which that trailer just dropped. Which looks amazing. I think it looks amazing. Yeah, it looks great. I have to say, a lot of people are very up in arms. They're like, Cruella's the cruelest. And yes, I get it, puppies. But also, it's a movie and a book. It's we can relax a little, folks. All right. So, um, but yes. What about you? Where did you go when you were looking her up? I I'll be honest with you. My first uh, introduction to Lula Bankhead was on uh, Batman. I was a huge fan oh. and still a huge fan of the Batman television series, the Adam the West series. Well, yeah, because I think you know, looking at Burt Ward and tights, sure, was a, was a big moment for me. And what I always loved is when they would leave the Bat Cave, they would drive out in the car, but they would always do a close up of them buckling their seatbelts. I wasn't wow. really looking at the seatbelts per se; I was more or less looking at Burt Ward's package, the cod piece. I was you well, yeah, I was, I was looking at the cod piece, and I have no shame about that. And she <laughs> played; uh, she was only on two episodes, and she mm-hmm. played a villain called Black Widow. Oh um, yeah, 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 I remember. And she she would go around and she would rob banks. Sure. Um, and then collect all the money, and Batman and Robin have to go to her cave to get, you know, to, to arrest her, mm-hmm. and uh, she springs a trap on them. She locks them in cobwebs and then puts Black Widows on them to eat them. It is a fantastic episode. So that was my first exposure to It was also to the plot of uh, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark 1.0. <laughs> it, was, it really was. I yeah. think it only gotten a hologram at Tallulah Bankhead. So <laughs> that's really where my introduction to her came and I thought, oh, this woman's funny. And I went back and I rewatched that episode before we started today. Hmm. And I have to say that episode is, I don't know who did this, but there was some gay guy who was like, I'm going to give all my queens Easter eggs in this episode. Uh, First of all, all the bank managers that she robs are like the queerest men I've ever seen in my life. They were like, can you find me like the queerest actors possible. So there's like a little nod to her gay following with all the mm-hmm. bank managers. And Batman was known for having like random cameos. Do you remember like he would, like people would pop out of the window when they were climbing yeah, up yeah, and yeah. it was a random celebrity. There's no celebrity window, but they go into a bank and there's a gentleman there and Batman's like a good citizen. Do you know where Black Widow is? And the guy turns around and he's the actor George Raft. Doesn't matter if you know him or not. He's going to play a point in a second. And George Raff's like, no, I'm not from Gotham City. He's a gangster. And he like flips a coin and he walks out. And I was like, mm-hmm. what an interesting cameo to have George Raft. Here's the other Easter egg, folks. Um, in her biography, she's very open about this. Um, Tallulah Bankhead had um, a hysterectomy for uh, untreated gonorrhea, which she said she got from George Raft. And I was like, whatever Queen is doing this episode, I love you so much because you're giving us so many Easter eggs. I think like Tallulah first hit my consciousness uh, because of a Jason Graw album. What? Uh, Explain. Jason Graw, who um, some listeners will know as a Broadway uh, performer and singer, um, was also the voice of Lucky the Leprechaun for years. Um, Lucky Charms, right? Yeah, Lucky Charms. And he is 
he's hilarious. He's so funny. But he put out a Charles Strauss album called You're Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile, where he's wearing nothing but a top hat that is covering the general region. And he looks very good on the record. Um, have you heard this album? It's very, it's very. Uh, yes. And I, and I had that, uh, that. Uh, the, the, Blown up. Yeah, yes. I, not, sure. What is it called? The booklet? I had the booklet yeah. taped to my wall. Uh-huh. Just poster size. Um, <laughs> and he, uh, but the final song on it is applause, applause from the musical version of All About Eve, applause. And uh, he's doing just tons of impressions like Johnny, Ma- and he's just, he'll yell out a name and suddenly go into that. And the second one is, Tallulah, what's Tallulah? Nothing in town, darling. Frank action sound like no applause is driving me crazy. <laughs> and that's <laughs> the first time I ever heard Tallulah Bankhead like that and then carol channing in the carol channing and pearl bailey special which is on youtube does like a mesmerizing to little bankhead she was born in the south she was born in alabama and she has this very distinct speaking voice that robbie just impersonated and i'm sure leroy will impersonate as well i'm not even going to do an impression of her because i can't i don't think i can even do one that came from bronchitis she had untreated bronchitis and that's why her voice sounds the way it does. She never used the word bisexual in public. She never said she was bisexual. She said she was ambisexual, ambisexual. So here we are, 1930s, 1940s, with this woman who's not covering up queerness and right. having relationships with both men and with women. Do you know who some of her female lovers were? Greta Garbo, Marlena Dietrich, Hattie McDaniel, Beatrice Lilly, Billie Holiday, and Patsy Kelly. So she obviously had eclectic tastes, <laughs> to say the least. In, well, and in- Patrick, uh, sorry, Patsy Kelly was her personal assistant while they were having an affair. Yes, and Patsy Kelly is also someone, I don't know if we'll ever talk about her on the show, I hope that we do. She was another actress from, the, from this era that was also openly gay. And made no bones about it in interviews or tried to ever cover anything up. And it's probably one of the reasons why she didn't work so much. But Tallulah Bankhead from a very early age is very outspoken in support of queerness, in support of sexual fluidity, in support of not being conformed to gender norms. One of the interesting things is her family were these very big Alabama politicians. And they were very racist. And she would publicly go against the family and say they're wrong. Everyone should be equal. And I don't know why my family does that. Have you heard B. Arthur tell her story about Tallulah Bankhead? Yes. Would you be so kind as to remind the listeners what the B. Arthur story is? In the 50s, they were uh, traveling city by city uh, by train. Uh, they were in the Ziegfeld Follies, right? And... Uh, B, B is talking to Tallulah, um, and Tallulah goes, let's face it, there's a touch of the homosexual in all of us. It's not in the cock, and it's not in the twat. It's in the eyes, don't you know? And sometimes, the smell of lilac. And B. Arthur thought that was beautiful. Do you think she and B. Arthur? Uh... I'm, I, okay, I don't want to say anything out of turn, but it would not surprise me. Sorry. Let's talk about the career yes. of Tallulah Bankhead because she created some of, the mo- some of the most iconic stage roles. Never won a Tony because they didn't exist at the time. And 
then sort of went away to Hollywood for a little minute. And she could not find success there. And I, what, what seemed to be the running complaint amongst everybody in the beginning of her career, that she didn't photograph well. Mm. That she wasn't pretty enough for the camera. Really interesting to me because one of the films that we watched for today yeah. is Lifeboat, and she is stunning in it. She Oh, okay. So this is Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat. Do you know the story about her not wearing underwear on set? <laughs> yes, but please go ahead. So, so while she filmed Lifeboat, um, she wore no underwear. And one of the crew members came over to Alfred Hitchcock and said, uh, she's not wearing underwear. And he said, I do not know if this is a question uh, for, for costumes or for hair. Costume, hair, makeup, or props. <laughs> He's a quick-witted man. Um, but she got such wonderful reviews. Now, She's, and won, she won uh, awards for it. She won the New York Film Critics Circle Award. And when she wins uh, the award, she, she gets up there and she says, Darlings, I was wonderful. <laughs> How can you not like this woman? Right? I would like to have seen her Auntie Mame. I think, one, I think there's a lot of roles we'd like to have seen her as. It seems that every time she created something on stage, either Joan Crawford or Betty Davis would then do it in the film version. So she she so that's one of the reasons why we don't have a lot of her stuff. And Jack Warner of, of Warner Brothers was not a huge fan of hers. As time went on, she really had a, a big struggle with cocaine, heroin. She said, when I came to New York, my father said, uh, stay away from men and liquor. But he said nothing about women and cocaine. And that got her on this list, list of 150 names of actors that the Hayes organization kept, Mr. Hayes kept. And the list was just simply called unsuitable for the public. Unsuitable wow. for the public. And comments like this and Bankhead's openness about her ambisexuality, which is what I'm going to call it because that's what she referred to, yeah, it, great. is what got her on this list. That her openness that racism is wrong, she felt communism was wrong, she felt that you could be sexually fluid. She was put on this list and blacklisted in a way from appearing, which denies the public getting to see her great work. So I think it's a testament to her talent that in only maybe a handful of television or film appearances, an entire generation and generation can impersonate this woman. It's fascinating. She's such a complex creature. And I find it interesting to note that as time went on, she sort of became a caricature of herself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, as I, if I understand it correctly, it's because the alcohol and the drugs had taken such an effect on her. All she could really do was muster up the camp quality. Yeah, she would really lean into the camp to the point where when she did uh, Streetcar, finally, uh, Tennessee Williams uh, has called her Blanche the worst that he'd ever seen because she was ruining it to appease uh, her fans who want camp. She then like worked very hard to create a new performance, uh, and uh, the director then later said that her performance was better than Jessica Tandy or Vivian Lee. But because of the reviews from when she was doing this camp version, it was canceled. Uh, it was it closed after fifteen performances. Going back, if I can, another Tennessee Williams piece, she was up for the film of The Glass Menagerie, and she tested for the mother, and 
everyone who saw this test said it wasn't just a brilliant performance. It was probably one of the greatest things ever captured on film. And nobody got to see it because Jack Warner said, look, she's brilliant, but I can't take that risk. Mm. I can't take that risk of, of putting her in this. And she's drunk or she's on drugs and she can't show up and she can't do this. So unfortunately, we got denied probably what sounds like one of the greatest performances ever captured on celluloid. Mm. The role went to Gertrude Lawrence, who uh, got horrible reviews. And we don't even yeah. talk about the Glass Menagerie movie anymore. Mm-hmm. I think it's... And you know, oh, yes. she was also... She was like the first choice to play Scarlett O'Hara. Yes, she was. She was the first choice to play Scarlett O'Hara. And they said she doesn't film well in color is how she got dismissed from that. The misogyny. Um, the, the deep, deep misogyny. Mm-hmm. I think the one way that maybe many of us have encountered her or know her is from the 1957 Lucy Desi comedy special, mm-hmm. uh, which was... The Celebrity Next Door. Right, The Celebrity Next Door, which was originally written for... Uh, Betty Davis. Betty Davis, who broke a bone and had to drop out. And they're like, well, what's who can we get that sort of is the same? And they said, well, let's get Tallulah Bankhead in there. Just call her in. Call- and honestly, I would watch that sideshow. <laughs> I will never leave you. No, I will never go away. Uh, Betty, kiss me. He kissed me for the first time. That's my old Betty Davis. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so on this Lucy Desi show, which is, mm-hmm. it, it, it's so, based on the accounts that I've read, Lucy and Desi were not happy with her oh, at no. all uh, because she didn't like rehearsing. She was consistently intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they were very close to either firing her or being like, we can't do an episode. And uh, she pulled it together. She pulled it together. And if you watch, it is such a perfect representation of her comedy and the ability to deliver a line. She, I think, is what we all try to emulate when we throw shade. We oh, all yes. try to be as mm-hmm. sassy and as witty and as cutting as her. Um, where where do we think the darling came from? Her darling? Yeah, the sort of trademark darling that like runs through Lifeboat, but it's not not in an inorganic way, but then became very much the Tallulah word, right? I, yes, I could be totally wrong. And I am wondering if because she said it so much in Lifeboat, if she adapted it later on in life as like, yes, this is my tagline. So I don't know the answer to that. And what a great question. What came first? The Is it written in the script of Lifeboat? Because, you know, she is says it, does, it a lot. So is it, does she say, Dar, it's in the dialogue? Or is it something that, uh, and then she adapted it later on? Or is it something that she threw in and Hitchcock never removed? We, we just don't know the answer yeah. to that. But I think what's so poignant on that Lucy Desi episode Mm-hmm. Sorry. Is no, 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 no. It's Lucy's. Ha- they're having a fight. Remember, Lucy and mm-hmm. Tallulah are having a fight. Yeah. And Lucy's done an impression of Tallulah Bankhead, and Tallulah looks at Lucy and goes, "You do a horrible impression of me." And Lucy looks at her and goes, "So do you." And on one hand, it's a, just a very, it's a very funny line. Mm-hmm. But when you really think about that. As time went on, she really did become an impression of herself. Truly, she became like a like a Hirschfeld, right? She did. She did become like a Hirschfeld. And that just store, sort of stayed with her until she passed in 1968. 
like Rami and I said at the beginning of this, she is not of our generation, but she is of the generation of, of, of an older group that's, that's above us. And those individuals have such an affinity for her and such a love for her that one of the people I wanted to bring on, because the times that we've hung out with him, he's mentioned a hysterical story about Tula Banka that I hope oh he's going to share with us, yeah. is an actor who I respect for so many reasons. I'm just going to give you a couple of his credits before we bring him on. He was uh, in the original Applause musical, where mm-hmm. he played the first openly gay character in a musical, which was groundbreaking. Um, he was in Lorelei with Carol Channing. He was in the 1978 Hello, Dolly revival with Carol Channing. He uh, was in the original 42nd Street Tony nomination for Billy Lawler. He directed, he directed Carol Channing's last revival of yep, Hello, sure Dolly. Did. I saw it. He is the balcony. Really? Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Um, he is the only man ever to be approved by Jerry Herman to play Dolly. Um, and one of the things that I think is most beautiful is he was with a man for 50 years. Oh, 50 years. Um, a, a gentleman by the name of Bob Donahoe. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, while they were together for about 50 years, they were only able to, to call it legal, married, mm-hmm. only for a couple of years. Uh, Bob passed away last year, but to, th- to think that at a time when everyone is saying, go back into the closet, go back into the closet. Right. Uh, he and his husband lived out and they lived proud. So he's really an inspiration. And Robbie, who am I talking about? You're talking about the one, the only Leroy Reams. Hello, Johnny's. <laughs> <laughs> and we're off and running. Leroy, how are you? Right? I've been dead for years. <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy to see you. We are both so happy to see you. Leroy, so when when we all had dinner together last, you told us a story about Tallulah Bankhead. Would you be so kind as to share your Tallulah story? Uh, now, yes. Well, this is years ago when I was dancing on the Danny Kay show out in Hollywood at the CBS. And down the, uh, the way from us, there were various studios. And in one of the studios was the Smothers Brothers show. And Tallulah Bankhead was one of the guests on the Smothers Brothers show. And we were all rehearsing, you know, that afternoon and taping and doing all the stuff. And so the chorus boys from that special, the uh, Smothers Brothers, ran up to the Danny Kate people and they told the boys, they said, hey, do you all want to come down and see Tallulah Bankhead's pussy? I said, yes, you want to come down and see Tallulah Bankhead's pussy? We said, yeah, sure. So we all ran down this, we ran down the way we walked in, and their studio, they had a raised stage. And then the people sat out there, and our studio was raked, you know, but anyway, they, they were different. So she was on a raised stage, and she was reading her cue cards, and she was famous for not wearing underpants. So she was reading the cue cards with her glasses on, and her legs were apart, her dress was up, and you could see her pussy. There it was, and we were all looking at Tallulah Bankhead's pussy, my, my, my. So we looked and we looked for a while, so then we came back to our studio, and so the boys who didn't go with us said, oh my God, well, what did it look like? What did it look like? And one of the boys said, Kenny Rogers. (laughs) So that's that Tallulah story. (laughs) That's, I, I love that. I love that. Lyra, when did you first discover there was someone named Tallulah Bankhead? Well, I think from television. It was from television. She used to guest star on television shows, variety shows, like um, Andy Williams and things like that. And of course, uh, you know, being around the arts, 
there are certain legends, and she certainly is one of them. And uh, I, I think I've always kind of known who Tallulah Bankhead was. And of course, being interested in plays and everything, you know, the little foxes and all of that, you know, all those parts that actually men and drag could play. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. But, but I, I have a, a, a good story to tell. If I, I don't know that I told you this before, but it certainly is worth the repeating. Ted Hook, who used to run backstage and on stage, was her personal assistant. Oh. Nobody ever knew that, yeah. Oh. So he, he worked for her for, you know, years. And he always had tons of stories. And this is the story that Ted Hook told me. And because uh, he was a very funny guy and we all loved him. He said that Tallulah was at a party one night. And, you know, in the bedroom, everybody piled their coats on the bed. And so Tallulah had gone in there with a gentleman that she was enamored of. And they went and they sat on the bed and they were having a conversation in the room with all the coats. And one thing led to another. And Tallulah took out his penis and was going down on him. And someone walked into the bedroom to get their coat. And Tallulah went, it's a lie. <laughs> so every time, every time Ted Hook would see me, he would pull back his head because you know she had that long bang that came down. Ted Hook would always go, "It's a lie." <laughs> so that was our little joke. I love that. I had heard a story where uh, she got caught uh, with a gentleman in a closet having sex with him, and and she said, uh, "She goes, don't worry, I'm just trying to prove to him that I'm really a blonde." <laughs> well, you know, there were famous, famous stories all the time about her. How many of them were true? Hey, we don't know, but you know, uh, for lack of the humor, hey, that why not? And I know that when she was in the milk train doesn't stop here anymore. Mm. Her co-star was uh, Tab Hunter. And one night at a party, someone said, oh, well, you're in the play with Tab Hunter. I hear he's gay. Is he gay? And Tula said, I don't know, darling. You never sucked my cock. <laughs> so, yeah, Leroy, you and Bob, like, like Robbie is saying, were together for 50 years. How did you two meet one another? Oh, God, it's a long, boring story. Uh, <laughs> it really is. And it, it's long and it's not as fascinating what had happened. Uh, a friend of mine from college was uh, having a, a little uh, liaison with uh, someone he met at the Y. And that guy was actually... Bob's uh, significant other. Mm. And he asked me to go down to the club one night because he was going to be there and he wanted to go down and he wanted to take a look at the, at the other half. And I said, oh, that's so sort of Joe. I don't want to go. But anyway, he forced me into going. And that other person was Bob. And they were in the process, little did I know then, that they were actually in the process of breaking up. Mm. And I just thought Joe was so terrible doing that and of course the other guy came up to joe at the bar and said well hello joe because he was a, a scandinavian or something like that or nordic up in that area good big looking blonde guy he actually uh, i think was uh, was a part of the olympics you know at one point and uh, so anyway and then joe said well which one is your you know your significant other and he pointed to bob and and bob was attractive and I looked at him and I thought, oh, that's such a shame. This guy is so bad doing that. So when I went to the, the men's room, I was coming out of the men's room and Bob was going in. And he looked at me and he kissed me right in the mouth and he said, hello, my name is Bob Donahoe and I'm having a wonderful time. 
And I laughed and then he came up and talked to us at the bar and uh, he was a little loaded that night. So he uh, asked if, you know, he could give me a call and I didn't want him to have my number. So I gave him Joe's business card. And of course, then what happened is that as soon as the guy went home, he confronted Bob and said, well, I hear that you, you know. And so Bob said, yes. And he called Joe the next day. And and uh, then we met up and we went out. He had invited me down to his house for dinner, but I talk, took along an escort because, you know, I never put out in those days. And now I can't put out. So, you know, that's the difference. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, as a Southern Baptist boy, you know, I, I couldn't be had for a cocktail and a peanut. So, you know, I, I made him you know, wait a while. As a matter of fact, we dated for about a month before it ever happened. And then it, it's, I mean, this is a terrible thing to be telling. I hope everybody's not bored to tears with this story. They are not. But uh, Bob came up, he, we had a birthday party for Bob in his apartment and his significant other, I'm not saying his name because who cares, but he's, he's gone now anyway. See, we lost him to AIDS, that guy. And, uh, but anyway, he brought along a, a guy he had picked up that night and it was a small one bedroom, but probably it was Bob's birthday. I thought that was so terrible. And I told Bob, I said, you don't have to put up with that the, tonight. You can come home with me. So he came home with me to my apartment and I know this sounds crazy and he never left. Mm. He spent that night and the next day he came back and I thought, well, when's he going to go home? And then, <laughs> and then he came back to that. And suddenly he just like moved in. It wasn't like a big thing, you know. But I think the reason our relationship lasted, uh, besides being attracted, but not being head over heels oh, like that, I think we became friends. Mm. And I think that's why, and we lived together very well. And I never lived with anyone before. I never wanted that. I wanted to be footloose and fancy free. I wanted to go when I wanted to go and do what I want to do. And I was in show business. I didn't want to make, uh, you know, commitments, but it worked out. And, uh, you know, and I, I miss them every moment now. I really do. But it's, it's those stories too, that I want to be able to tell my personal stuff so that mm -hmm. other young gay men can read that and understand what we went through during that period when you could be put into jail you know, for being gay and you were bullied and, you know, and during high school, my God, what I went through in high school, you know, being, and not that I was a, an out gay and doing stuff, I wasn't, but because I danced. That's why, because I danced, because I was in the arts. That's why I got the name calling. Nothing that I did. I certainly wasn't propositioning any of those boys in college or even wanting to. So, you know, and it's, I mean, in high school, but it's, I got through high school because I was intelligent enough to know that it was only temporary mm -hmm. and I would never see those people again. And I was going to go to the University of Cincinnati. I've told this before, but it's worth noting when I was 18 years old and uh, I got my draft papers to fill out mm -hmm. because I was 18 and I sat down at the table and I looked at the sheet and there was a, a thing that said, are you a homosexual? Yes, no, on the form. And my mother was looking over my shoulder and she said, you check yes, you check yes. Your father and your three brothers served in all the wars and enough of the family has been in the wars. You're not going in. You're not gonna go into the service. You check that box, yes. Now I sat there and I thought to myself, now this is a decision. Am I going to lie to the government and say, no, I'm not? so that no one knows? And am I going to live my life being embarrassed as to who and what I am?
no. And I checked the box, yes. And then I had to go to a psychiatrist, which had a shingle hanging out over on Clifton Avenue where the University of Cincinnati was. And I went and knocked on the door because you had to have certification. So I said, I need to certify the fact that I'm a homosexual for my draft application. And so the psychiatrist said, well, uh, are you sure you're a homosexual? I said, although I'm not so much a practicing homosexual, I know that I am. Yes, yes, I am. And he said, okay. And he filled out the form and then I got a 4F rating and that's how it happened. But I was in show business, you know, eventually. So, you know, with the Jews and the homos, as you know, as uh, (laughs) Mel Brooks always said, if it weren't for us, baby, there would be no theater. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Yes. So let me ask you, when you were growing up, I'm assuming there was really no representation on television or film overtly of any gay people, any gay lifestyle, right? No. no. So what was it about Tallulah Bankhead that made people of our community gravitate towards her, even though she was not explicitly gay? What, what gravitated us towards her? Well, she's theatrical. And, uh, you know, uh, we gravitate to flamboyant people and the way that she held herself and the way that she talked and her candor sometimes with the things that she said i think we all found brave and she was who she was she never you know hid the fact of what she did and uh, i think that that was the attraction also she had a deeper voice darling you know so you could hear you know so a lot to identify with the same way that you would identify with betty davis you know because they were uh, theatrical people and uh, you get attracted that way. It's that, is it that sense of living out loud without any uh, barriers, yes. without any fear or anything along those lines? Was and there... Mm-hmm. You look at Bette Midler. You know, mm-hmm. Bette Midler was a gay icon because she, you know, in her flamboyancy, the way that she did, uh, wonderfully outrageous, that, you know, you're immediately attracted to that. I was the first person to play at the baths after Bette Midler left. Did you know that? No. No, we do now. Yes. Well, they called and asked if I would like to appear at the baths. And of course, Bette was a huge hit there. And of course, I go, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And so I asked uh, my buddy, Pam Myers, to because uh, she was in New York then, you know, doing company and all that stuff. And I said, let's do the show together, Pam. We'll, we'll split the bill. You know, the two of us will do our our stuff and go down to the baths. And Pam's, uh, she was newly married to this guy. And he said, no, Pam's not going to be performing in a homosexual place, you know. Of course, he didn't last too long in the marriage. But anyway, uh, so Pam didn't do it. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to be smart ass. I'm going to get a couple of the boys to back me up. And my opening number is going to be boom, 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 splish, splash. I was taking a bath, boom, boom, long about a Saturday night. I thought, you know, oh, how fun. Honey, those two boys, we went out, we came down, we were all dressed up, not, you know, in flamboyant outfits. I think I probably just wore a, a, a nice shirt, you know, or a, a tuxedo, which I love to wear. So when the boys came up and we did the first, no one laughed, no one did anything. They just sat there and looked at us. I think they were thinking Beth Miller was coming out and I was a disappointment. And the guys who were there had their towels on and they're sitting in the front row with their legs spread and their genitals hanging out and i'm up there trying to sing and with a lot of naked men 
I mean, there were other people there, you know, the regular folk, but the majority of them were in towels and the pool was in the background and they throw their towels off and jump in the pool naked. And you try performing in a crowd like that. It was a huge disaster, but uh, that was, you know, you've, but you've had so many successes since to make up for it. So I think we can write mm-hmm. that one off. Yeah, 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 yeah. You also um, were one of the first, you were, not one of, you were, the first person to be an openly gay character yes. in a musical. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, it's interesting, uh, th- that whole thing, because uh, not that we didn't have gay people in movies and things like that. You know, you go back to all of the comics and, you know, who were obviously gay, but not really. So, you know, and even Danny Kaye and Lady in the Dark, yeah. So, you know, it... Sort of, and then of course a Rene Abergeois, uh, you know, did Coco, and that's before applause opened. And his character was a gay character, but not so much out. There was a couple of references, but not as much as the character of Dwayne and applause. And of course the famous line when uh, Lauren Bacall, as Margot Channing, says to Dwayne Fox, "Well, Dwayne, how would you like to take two lonely ladies out on the town tonight?" And Dwayne said, uh, "I've got a date." And she said, bring them along. And that was the first outed. And of course, it got a huge laugh. It didn't get such a laugh uh, when we were out of town in uh, Baltimore, I can tell you that. And that whole thing, the scene in the gay bar, <gasps> the people were, you know, it was really wild. And, and, and an interesting thing, I told this story, but it, it bears repeating. When you walk into the gay bar scene in pantomime, uh, I kissed my you know, the guy was going there to meet, but it was like a kind of kiss on the lips. And then I would motion to uh, uh, Margot Channing, Lauren Bacall, and then said the boy kissing her, he put out his hand and then Bacall would take the hand and do a take. It was supposed to be a joke. Well, honey, we walked into that gay bar scene. And when I went, the audience went, and we didn't get a laugh in the whole thing. It was so, you know, shocking. Can you imagine how naive everyone was but that's the way it was a lot of people today refer to people like um like lauren bacall or carol channing but especially to lebankhead as being quote unquote campy uh mm-hmm. that it's it's a it's a camp uh attitude how do you define camp and do you think when they say Tallulah lebankhead is campy that's an appropriate statement yeah oh yeah well betty wasn't really campy betty wasn't carol channing could be campy because they're uh they have and I don't mean this unkindly, there are certain people who, you know, the audiences love freaks. I don't mean that in a negative way, I mean in a positive way. People are very unique and different from everybody else, like Tammy Grimes. Tammy didn't look like anybody else, she didn't sound like anybody else, and when she came out on stage, I couldn't really say, was she a good actress or a bad actress? All I know is that I couldn't keep my eyes off of her, and that's what makes a star. So, People who become stars have to have that extra something that you are fascinated by. It's like Betty Davis's eyes, her clipped speech when she talked. So there's something just different about them, uh, more so than ordinary people, you know. And uh, God knows Tallulah had that, uh, a unique style, and Channing, that character that she created, which, you know, was uh, the showgirl thing that she did in Lyndon Ear, which became Lorelei, and then it became Carol Channing. Mm. And she she made this, not a caricature necessarily, but I don't know how else to describe it. They're just unique and special and different. 
a lot of elements of, of Tallulah Bankhead, I think, have been adopted by drag queens uh, throughout mm-hmm. time. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you agree with that statement? Would you yes. agree with that statement? Yeah. Yeah. What is it about her specifically that sort of ignites drag culture? Well, number one, she had a deep voice, was a masculine voice. And, you know, the way that she held a lit cigarette and the way she would throw her hair back, you know, it became uh, mannerisms that could be, you know, you would do it and the, the audience would laugh. And so everybody gets attracted to that. You start copycatting uh, people that, you know, like saying phrases that people say and things like that. And uh, it's again, I keep using the word, it's a flamboyancy that you get attracted to. And uh, I know that when we did uh, La Cage au Folle, and uh, when I finally got the part, and Jerry Herman and I sat down, and we decided to add something to uh, the La Cage number. And we came up with the idea that I would do impersonations, because that's what drag queens did. They came at it, they did impersonations, and, and so we thought that would be fun to do in the La Cage number, so we styled that for me. And one of my friends, and, and probably the best person who ever did drag, was Charles Pierce, who mm-hmm. referred to himself as a male actress. And, uh, and he was just brilliant, he had great material. So I, I was a huge fan of Charles's, and we were good, good friends. And uh, so I took Charles as an image for that moment in the show, where I'd come out and talk to the audience and do impressions. And so Jerry and I put the things, and the impressions I could do was, my way to do it, because I can do her voice. So I, you know, you know, Lacage of all. So I could do Marlena Dietrich and I could do Tallulah. And the thing with Tallulah, where I go, yeah, hello, darlings, it's Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> Am I the only one here tonight old enough to remember me? And I make the audience applaud. I say, here we are, darlings, on the beach of San Tropez. <laughs> like, yeah, I thought it was Venice Beach. All those naked young men out there sunning themselves. If you're toasting that for me, darlings, I'll take it rare. (laughs) Why is she important to our community? Well, only because she's part of the history. All the gay icons and the people who supported gay men and uh, appreciated them, uh, they all did. I mean, Tallulah Bankhead was always surrounded by gay men. And uh, uh, my husband, Bob, used to play bridge with her before I met him, that he would play bridge with Tulula Bankhead. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he always had a lot of stories about her, and, and she loved to play bridge, and Bob was a, a good-looking guy, and he could play bridge, so she would invite him over. And Bob said one night, she had this little, uh, it was either a Maltese or a Pekingese or one of those, you know, hairy little dogs, lap dogs, and uh, her name was Dolores. And Bob said that Tallulah was smoking one night and her ashes from her cigarette went on the dog and kind of the smoke was coming up and she had this manservant and he came and he said, oh, Miss Bankhead, Miss Bankhead, Dolores is on fire. And she said, well, put her out. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, everybody's got their own personal stories of Tallulah Bankhead because she just, she was that kind of person who had that sense of humor. So the stories, and of course, you know, stories get embellished and change. I know a lot of stories that I've lived, people tell on me and they're all not always correct. You know, it's, it, it, they become embellished with each person who tells it. 
What's what's the story about her? I'm wondering if you've heard this and maybe you can validate it. She went to mass in uh, in New York, right? Have you heard? You know this story? Do you want to tell it with with your voice? <laughs> and whatever they're walking down, they got the incense burning. You know, well, they're swinging the uh, the the purse lashes. I don't know where you're going, darling, but your purse is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Stopping a so I mean that's the story the, the way that I remember yeah. hearing it. Stop stopping a priest to say your there was purse something is about on. being in a dress or <laughs> like being in a dress and carrying a purse or anything like that. I don't know. I think I think something it's what like your that. your dress is fabulous, but your purse is on fire. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, that sounds better. I'll go with that. Great. Awesome. So let's take that one. We we love you, and we we cannot tell you how much Truly. we appreciate this today. So we carry on the we carry on the legacy, and this is how we do it. Yeah. That's how Tallulah Bankhead is going to be remembered, because mm -hmm. the younger guys coming out have nothing to reference her by, because there's not a lot of recorded material to show them. Yeah. And so that's why it's important for us to keep our history alive, and all those people who were such a great part of it, who were really great stars, yeah. that they remember who you know who and what they were. Mm -hmm. And you are and remain to be a great star. So we will see you next time. Leroy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank we're you carrying so the torch, boys. We're carrying the torch. We're carrying, we're carrying the torch. Bye, Leroy. Thank you. I just love Leroy Reams. Uh, I love him. That man is an absolute legend. So we got to get him back on for more. Yeah. Shows. He's worked with everybody. <laughs> Truly. I feel like there is not a name that he left out of this entire, like he just like twirled his Rolodex. That's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna have a Rolodex of names and or whatever. We'll throw names into a hat, pull them out one by one and say, Betty Buckley, go. And just hear a story. And then we'll pull the next name. Cheetah Rivera, anything goes, go. Oh my God, he's got story upon story upon story. And also, once again, I just think it's so wonderful, 50 years mm -hmm. with, the, with the same gentleman at a time when that was not allowed. It was yeah. just not allowed. And God, what the two of them, him and Bob, are really, really great examples for our community. So uh, yeah. Bob is no longer with us. Leroy is, thank God for that. And I hope he will finish his book at some point. So- <gasps> Me too. Listen, what I love. Hope about it's a pop-up book <laughs> or a scratch and sniff. <laughs> what it I smells like about... the baths. I can't. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you with attempts at jokes, and I will be quiet while you no, get your you point. No, you are out. hilarious. Uh, <laughs> that I didn't interrupt. <laughs> yeah, of course. Why would you? <laughs> compliment, compliment. Question. I'll be quiet. Um, <laughs> What I, what I loved about talking with him is like, we did, we walked into this week not knowing too much about our subject, where generally we are the ones with a guest who are uh, passing it down. And it became very much like we were the mentee being passed down to. Does that make sense? Yeah, he was, he was the, the teacher was today. Yes, right. And we were very willing students. I, what do you, what is your biggest takeaway of, about Tallulah Bankhead? My biggest takeaway from her is if she had not been um, uh, 
if she had not had such a problem with drugs and alcohol, would probably have been a much bigger star than she actually was. But for the time that she was on this earth, what a wonderful legacy to leave behind, which is one, to always speak your mind, and two, not care what anybody else says, and embracing sexuality at a time, not, not just the ambisexuality that she's talking about, but the fact that women can have sex and women enjoy sex, which was not at all the conception back then. In 1932, she did a film called Devil in the Deep, which didn't get very good reviews. It was her, Cary Grant, Gary Cooper. And they said, why did you do that movie? And she said, I wanted to fuck that divine Gary Cooper. And the openness, the frankness, uh, the pushing for civil rights, the pushing for feminism, uh, the pushing for, for queer rights at a time that... Obviously, she was punished by it. She wasn't allowed to be in films. She's being placed in this list of actresses that are not allowed to perform because they're a bad example. So my biggest takeaway is you have one life. You might as well live it to your fullest. And it doesn't matter what other people say. I wish she had lived longer. And mm -hmm. I wish that people would have helped her, helped her with her substance abuse problems. I, I wish that there was more, there was more recorded material of her extraordinary career. Because it was extraordinary, but it just like physically doesn't exist. It, it doesn't. And, you know, before we went on the air, we were talking about some things that we encountered on YouTube that we both think are really strong examples. So one, the Lucy Desi one, like you said, is a fragmented. You can see that. You mentioned uh, one of the sketches that I saw that popped up on YouTube oh, yeah. that I really liked, which was called, which was um, takes the place elevator sketch. Yeah. Do you want to mm -hmm. just uh, talk about your feelings on that? Oh, my God. It's Steve Allen, who was the creator of The Tonight Show. Yeah. Um, and I cannot remember who the other gentleman is. It's Tom Poston. Oh. The great Tom Poston from New Heart and the sure. Bob New Heart Show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Steve Allen is a uh, elevator operator who, who is works into Lula's building. Um, and she gets in and says, uh, 17, darling. Um, and then Tom Poston walks in and says three, and uh, they are uh, like flirting with each other. But uh, Steve Allen keeps cock blocking her yes. at every turn. It's absolutely hysterical, and it shows mm -hmm. her subtlety. I wanted that subtlety in comedy. I then want to show you her broadness in comedy with another clip to, to counter that, which is one that's just simply called Automat. And uh, for those of you that don't remember, an Automat is a bunch of uh, food in boxes and you just put in a nickel and you take whatever food item you want out of the box. The way she plays it is she's never been to an Automat before and is so enchanted by how you have to get up and serve yourself and you have to buy these things called nickels and she doesn't know what a nickel is and how much do they cost. It, is, it shows her broadness and I think it's probably the best representation of what she would have been like in a live performance. The timing is brilliant, the comedy is brilliant, the intelligence is brilliant and she's able to be funny and believable at the same time and she's able to accomplish it beautifully. It is fascinating that she didn't have a sketch show the way so many others did. Uh, on television or yeah. on stage? On television? On, on TV. You know, like the the Red Skeleton show and the Danny Kaye show. And I, I, have a, 
I have a feeling, and I could be totally wrong, because her humor was sensual and risque, mm. that that might not have been sure. the best world for her. I'm sure she would have done it brilliantly, and I'm sure she would have pushed the envelope. Mm-hmm. But you look at... I, God, I hate saying this because it's this, this always it's, it's, it's so opinion-based. I never found Danny Kaye funny. I never found Red Skelton funny. I don't know, but but I can say that at least I feel like their humor is safe. Mm, sure, sure. So, Absolutely. I mean, no offense if you're a big Danny Kaye or Red Skelton fan. But, I just like Red Skelton on the Dean Martin roasts. Uh, wh- never got a dinner. No, no, you, no, no, no. That's Red Buttons. Oh, you're correct. So wow. once, so you do agree that Red Skelton is horrible. I clearly don't remember him. So, <laughs> so I, now that, he used to do the clown. He's he the Marlena Dietrich of men. I cannot. I just conflated two reds. I that's well. First of all, they kind of look alike. It's the same first name, and they're both in comedy. I red red buttons was absolutely hysterical. This person never got a dinner. Red Skelton yeah. just painted clowns on velvet. <laughs> He was the Bob Ross of comedy. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this has been a fantastic chat. Uh, Talk to me. (laughs) The Bob Ross of comedy got me really good, and I don't know why. I'm so sorry. Well, I am a verified Twitter comedian. I heard. Um, (laughs) You're the Bob Ross of Twitter. So next, our next episode, we're going to leap from screen legend to, uh, well, kind of a twofer, really. It is a twofer, yes. You could, and you're getting two for one, much like TKTS in the old days. It, it is indeed. Do you want to tell everyone what, what they're getting in the two for one? I do. We're going to talk about the miniseries based on the book of Amerset Maupin's Tales of the Cities. Just the first book. I have to say, when I uh, was first handed the book, I read it in a day and a half. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the miniseries is wonderful. Um, our guest is wonderful. Uh, so I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. So it's Tales of the Cities, uh, Tales of the City by Armistead Moffin. Uh, the miniseries is on Netflix right now. Yeah. Great. What a a wonderful thing. And I cannot wait to dive into it. Um, And I think the best way to leave this episode is, you know, we usually do a signature drink. Uh, Tallulah does have a signature. She does have a signature drink. She was at a very, uh, yeah, you can pour bourbon, but you have to put in a very uh, specific thing. She liked to drink out of a shoe. And there's a hotel that's uh, called the, they have a drink there called the Tallulah, where it's champagne in a woman's shoe. So grab your Crocs, fill her up. And drink to Tallulah. Just drink to just drink to Tallulah. Uh, follow us on G Revoked. Like, share, subscribe. Leave us a leave us a review. I don't know why I held that for so long. Leave us a review in in your app of choice. Uh, tell other people about us. That's how that's how we can keep teaching more. Yes, yes, and uh, don't tell people you can't wait till you listen to these assholes. Right. Listen to what they said. We don't want your one star. Listen to these idiots reviews. I want your five stars. I want, I want Rose, Blanche, Dorothy, <laughs> Sophia, and and Angela. I want five stars. Brenda Ficaro is Angela. Uh, no, no, Angela. No. Sorry, she was a good man. Oh, I, oh, that's right. <laughs> she. <laughs> 
He was a good man, Sophia. <laughs> Angela was Nancy Walker. Oh, Angela was Nancy Walker on Golden Girls. We talked Girls. all about this on a Patrick Hines episode. And who did who did Brenda Vaccaro play? Brenda Vaccaro played. She's Angela Petrillo. Oh, so there's a lot of Angelas in this. I family. guess, yeah. He wow. was a good man, Sophia. Yeah. You did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. Then Sophia, my baby's gone. <laughs> and they hug each other. And the three other actresses don't know. They haven't been directed to do anything. So they just all sort of look away. <laughs> it's the last scene of this, this episode. Oh, <laughs> and God. you can tell they were like, just sit on the sofa and don't bother anybody. <laughs> <laughs>